It is uh, good to be here and good to be able to worship together this morning. We're thankful for the attendance of each one. As we begin this morning, I do want to uh, say uh, publicly, uh, express my gratitude to everyone for the very successful uh, weekend that we had last weekend with our Arise Spiritual Growth Workshop. There are so many, of course, who work so hard to make that a reality to make it possible, and we are so thankful to each and every one of you. We're thankful to the members who support, for, to our members for supporting it and for attending and so on. And I do want to say that um, we're already thinking about next year, and the theme next year is Arise and Evangelize. And what I'd like to suggest is that if you would, um, if you have some thoughts, some questions, or maybe some topics, or some things that you would like to see uh, addressed during that seminar next year. I would like, if you would, to please just write that down on a sheet of paper and put it in the question box on the credenza. And what we'll do is when we're working on uh, uh, coming up with the lesson assignments for next year, we want to be able to take the thoughts and the input of the congregation, uh, take that into account and and help to, to build the discussion topics based on the input from the congregation at least to the best of our ability. So please be thinking about those things and uh, let, us know, let us know your thoughts. We have a lot of material to cover this morning, so let's get right to it. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans chapter 14. That's the section that we're going to study together today, Romans chapter 14. Of course, I know that we are all very well aware that we live in an incredibly divided world. We live in a world in which prejudice exists across the spectrum. We live in a world which seemingly goes out of its way to drive the largest wedge possible between as many people as possible. But in the midst of all of that, we have our God. And the truth of the matter is that God has a purpose or has a plan from eternity. And according to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 to 18, that plan is the establishment of an institution, the establishment of an entity in which man can exist in peace with number one, God, and number two, his fellow man. That entity is called the church. It's referred to as the body of Jesus Christ. And again, it is a body in which all people can stand at peace and unified together with God and with one another. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the message that calls people to come out of the world and to be added to the body of Christ. The gospel of Christ is the message that brings peace and hope and unity and reconciliation and makes peace possible between man and his fellow man and man and his God. Now, in the first century, the gospel brought two very different cultures together in Jew and Gentile. Gentiles were pagans. Gentiles were polytheists, and their lifestyle and even their culture revolved around their idolatry. In a practical way, the Gentiles had no dietary laws, really, of which to speak. 
They had, like the Jews, certain feast days and holy days or holidays, if you will, but those feasts and those days were anything but holy. Instead, they were generally filled with sin and debauchery uh, of every kind. Then on the other hand, there were the Jewish people, and uh, the Jews were generally regarded by the Gentile world to be strange and annoying and obstinate. Particularly, the Romans viewed them in this way. They observed dietary laws. They observed the Sabbath, which the Gentiles, by the way, viewed as laziness. They observed their own distinct feasts and their own distinct festivals, those that were prescribed by the law of Moses. And as a result of this, Gentiles, to a very large degree, viewed the Jewish people as being separate, uh, separate and, and unsociable. But now, in the church of Christ, those who have answered the call of the gospel... These two cultures, which historically did not get along very well at all, are united together as brothers and sisters in the family of God. So now the question would become, how were they to navigate these cultural differences that had always defined them in order to be unified as God would have them to be? This, in part, is one of the things that the Apostle Paul deals with in the book of Romans. He deals with it from a doctrinal standpoint in the first 11 chapters. And the way that he does it is he says, look, we all have the same problem, and that's sin. We all need the same solution, and that's salvation. We all attain that solution in the same way, and that's obedience. And we all enjoy the same spiritual blessings, and that is freedom. That, in a nutshell, is Romans chapter 1 to 11. Then in a practical way, in Romans chapter 12 through 16, he deals with a number of different items that had to do with their everyday living, items that would help them to to bridge the cultural gap, if you will, so that they might stand united in the church as God would have them to do. So he commands them to employ loving service. uh, Let me say it again. He commanded loving service from each member in Romans chapter 12. He commanded service, uh, obedience to the governing authorities and service even to those who were outside of the body of Christ in Romans chapter 13. But then in Romans chapter 14, he deals with what we might just call those massive elephants that were always in the room. Those key cultural uh, identifiers that really uh, created a visible barrier between Jew and Gentile, and that's things like food or dietary laws, and special days like the Sabbath day, and other matters of judgment. So Romans chapter 14 verse 1 through Romans chapter 15 and about verse about verse number uh, 13 is the section in which the Apostle Paul will, will give them some instruction on how to navigate through these judgment matters, these big elephants in the room, so that they could make sure that, that they did not disrupt the unity of the body of Jesus Christ because of their, uh, because of their personal preferences. 
Now, we don't have the time this morning to be able to work through every section of these chapters. It's just far more material than what we can cover. So what I would like for us to do is I would like for us to simply look at it in three categories. Three categories. Number one, the problem. What was the problem or what were the problems that Paul will address in Romans chapter 14 and chapter 15? There are basically three. Number one, there was food, Romans chapter 14 and verse 2. For one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Now, in all likelihood, what this has to do with is that Jewish Christians were still observing some of the dietary laws and restrictions that were found in the law of Moses. It may be interesting to note that those who were still practicing Judaism in the time of the first century expected Gentile converts to Judaism to abide by the dietary laws of the law of Moses. And some have suggested, and perhaps uh, rightly so, that it may have been that in the church at Rome, even the Jewish Christians were expecting the Gentile Christians to observe those dietary laws as well. But regardless of what may or may not have been going on, what is obvious from the passage is that there are some Jewish Christians who felt very strongly about uh, observing some of the dietary laws that were found in the law of Moses. And then there were the Gentile Christians who had no dietary restrictions whatsoever. So some felt like there's some food that we can't eat, and the others felt like, no, there's, there's no food that we can't eat. All food is good and fine and, uh, and clean. So food. Then there's days. Look at verse 5. Romans 14, verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Likely what this is talking about is the fact that some Jewish Christians, although they recognize that the church assembled to worship God on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, still they felt as if it was necessary for them to observe the Sabbath. And so they had that day, or maybe not the Sabbath, but perhaps some of the other feast days that were, uh, again, prescribed in the law of Moses. They had been keeping those things and observing those things for years, generations and centuries, what have you. And so they felt like, well, this is still something that we, that we need to do. And then on the other hand, you had the Gentile Christians who said, no, no, we don't, we don't need to do that at all. So we have food. There's some food we can, uh, can't eat. There's no food we can't eat. We have days. There's some days that we need to regard as holy to the Lord. No, but we don't. Those days are not commanded under the New Testament age, the New Testament law. So these are the issues that are going on within the church at Rome. Now, what this produced is what Paul described as the weak and the strong. You see, none of these things were binding under the law of Christ. The dietary laws were not binding. The feast days were not binding. And so Paul will describe in these two chapters those who are weak. And the weak in Romans 14 and 15 are those who struggle to understand that these laws, these restrictions are no longer valid. And the word weak, by the way, means literally weakness and in determining a correct course of action. So they're struggling with what to do about it. That's the idea, the implication of the terminology. Then there are, on the other hand, the strong. 
And the strong are those who are capable of reasoning through the issue properly and coming to the proper understanding. So we have food, we have days, we have the weak, we have the strong, and then there's one more thing. Look at verse 3. Paul says, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let uh, not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. So we have our problems, and now Paul says in verse number, uh, in verse number uh, th- three, here are the things that you can't do. He says, first of all, the person, uh, the person who eats, the person who realizes that there are no dietary restrictions, he cannot despise the one who doesn't eat. The word despise means literally to show by one's attitude or manner of treatment that a a person has no merit or worth. Put another way, it is condescending judgment or writing off or showing contempt, or we might just say to look down on someone. So Paul says, if you are part of the strong and you recognize that there are no dietary restrictions, you do not look down on those who are characterized as the weak and are still struggling with all of this and haven't yet come to the realization that the gospel does not bind those restrictions. But then on the other hand, there's judging. You see, the strong were not to despise the weak, but look at the end of the verse. The weak were not to judge the strong. The one who did not eat was not to judge the one who ate. And in this passage, the word judge means literally to condemn. To condemn for doing something wrong. So I want you to notice that both of these uh, have uh, both of these entities, these, these groups of people, if you will, they, they both have responsibilities to one another. We have the problems that exist And uh, Paul says, look, the the strong can't look down on the weak, and the weak can't condemn the strong. So how do we work through the problems then? How do we navigate these things? Well, look at some of the principles that he suggests. First of all, receive. Look at Romans 14.1. Paul says, receive the one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. I want you to look at the terminology that Paul uses in this passage. The word receive, which by the way, Paul will use this again in chapter 15 and verse 7, and he will say, receive one another just as Christ has received us to the glory of God. Well, what does it mean to receive? The word literally means to extend a welcome. It means to receive with friendliness. Or put another way, when he says receive, he's saying open up your arms and embrace them as brethren. Extend the right hand of fellowship. Let there be no contention between the two of you. So he says you are to receive the one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. Look at the word dispute. The word dispute literally refers to verbal conflicts that result because of differing opinions. The word disputes in this passage means literally verbal conflicts that result because of differing opinions. So he's saying, listen, extend a welcome and receive one another with friendliness. Do not engage in verbal conflicts because you have a different opinion about something. He says disputes over, look at the end of the verse, doubtful things. Now this is a very interesting term. 
The word doubtful things, the original language, the word that Paul used means literally reasoned opinions. Now that is important. Reasoned opinions. Here's why it's important. Because Paul in this chapter is not talking about the opinions that we hold because I just think it ought to be this way because we've always done it this way. Therefore, so let it be written, so let it be done. That's not what we're talking about. What Paul is talking about are reasoned opinions. Literally, the point is that these are opinions or conclusions that a person has drawn because they have sat down and they have thought through them. It's not a stubborn knee-jerk reaction, but rather it's something that a person has reached through thoughtful consideration. So the responsibility then, Romans 14.1, is for us to receive one another, to extend a, a, a friendly welcomeness to one another as brethren, not to engage in verbal disputes that result because we have reached different reasoned opinions. Next. Look at verse 13 of Romans chapter 14. We're not to lay down a stumbling block. Romans 14 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul, look what he says. He says, I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the food. You remember the problem with the food? He says, there's nothing unclean. That means there are no dietary restrictions under the law of Jesus Christ. But to him that considers anything to be unclean, He says to him, it is unclean. Now go back one verse previous to verse 13. We know that there's nothing unclean, but what is Paul's attitude in verse 13? Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather let us resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Now, here's what this means. And a good commentary, by the way, would be 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 13. In that chapter, Paul deals with, again, eating meat. He deals with food, and he reasons through it, and then he gets to the end of the chapter after he makes the conclusion that, look, it's just food. An idol's a piece of rock or wood or whatever, and this is just food. There's nothing unclean about it. That's just what he says in Romans 14, 14. But his conclusion at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is this. If meat makes my brother to offend, then so long as I live, I will not eat meat. So the point is this. We ought not to use our spiritual liberty as a means of causing spiritual harm to a brother. In the context of Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul says, Look, if you understand that there are no dietary restrictions under the law of Christ Jesus, then that's fine, but don't hold that up as a big billboard when you know that it's going to cause problems for your brethren who are still struggling with that. When you have the potluck luncheon, don't bring pulled pork sandwiches. Don't bring a pork roast or pork ribs because you're going to have brethren that are going to have a real problem with that. Don't lay a stumbling block. Next, look at uh, verse uh, chapter, uh, excuse me, verse one of chapter fourteen. Actually, there's several passages here. In chapter fifteen and verse number one, the apostle Paul says that we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. The word scruples in chapter 15, verse 1, is the same thing that Paul is talking about in 14, verse 1, when he talked about those reasoned opinions. 
And look what he says the responsibility of the strong is to the weak. He says the strong is to bear, and the word bear literally means to help them carry their burdens. Notice, by the way, that the language implies that this is a moral obligation. It's not an option. Because we are brethren in the family of God, Paul says, you who are strong have a moral obligation not to despise, not to condemn, but rather to help carry the burden of your weak brethren. And the implication is, help them patiently reason through and navigate through this issue with which they are struggling. We are to bear with one another. Look also at 14.19 and then again at 15.2. Not only are we to bear with one another, but look at this, 14.19, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which we may edify one another. Look at 15.2, Let us each please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Now, you remember we started by referring to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. That passage tells us that God's intention is for the church of Jesus Christ to be a peaceful, harmonious, unified body. And you may remember a passage like Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, where the apostle Paul says, or excuse me, Ephesians 4 and verse 3, where Paul says that we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In Ephesians 2, verse 19 to 22, the Apostle Paul describes the church as the house of God. And he says that we are all members of the house of God. And notice that in both of these passages, in Romans chapter 14 and 15, Paul uses not only the word peace, but he also uses the word edification. And the word edification, or edify, has to do with building up. It's a construction term, if you will. So here's the point. Paul says to these brethren in Rome, in the midst of these problems you have with food and days and despising and judging and whatever else it may be, what your obligation is to one another is to, number one, receive one another. Notice both the weak and the strong. No one's left out here. Both sides have an obligation to the other. You receive one another, number one. You do not put a stumbling block before the other, number two. You bear with one another, number three. And you seek peace and edification, number four. You make it your aim not to put your opinions or your judgments or whatever, not to push them out to the forefront so that they cause problems within the congregation, but rather you make it your aim to make peace within the congregation and to build the church up, every member. All right? Now let's look at the reason. What's the rationale for all of this? Paul mentions five things, I think. A, B, C, D, yeah, five things. Go back to 14.4. The reason why we are to receive and to bear and to pursue peace and edification and to be patient with one another and not to judge and not to... Here's the reason why. Number one, he says, because we are the Lord's servant. Look at 14.4. Who are you to judge another servant, he asked. To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will, he will be made to stand. For God is able to make him stand. Here's what this means. In the context, Paul has just said, you remember in verse 3, do not despise and do not judge. Let not the strong despise the weak and let not the weak judge or condemn the strong. Why? Because both the strong and the weak in this context are whose servants? 
They're the Lord's servants. They serve the Lord. They belong to the Lord. And if you keep reading down to chapter 14, verses 11 and 12, as Paul reaches the end of this particular part of the discussion, he says this, uh, verse 10, But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? There are our words again. Contempt is a synonym for despise. For we shall, what, all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So what's the implication? You who are weak and you who are strong... Don't you dare worry about trying to stand in judgment of your opposite, uh, the brother on the opposite end of the spectrum because they're Christ's servant and he is their judge and he is their king and he will deal with it. We'll all answer for ourselves, won't we? Look at the next point. He says in verse 17 to 19 that we ought to consider the true nature of the kingdom. He says, Therefore, in verse 16, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now the point of these passages is this. That Christ did not come to establish a kingdom based on food laws and dietary restrictions, but that there are more important matters. It's kind of like what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when he was talking about how it's wrong for a brother to take his brother to the court of law. And in that chapter, he will make this point. He will say, and I'm paraphrasing, he will say, sometimes it's better to suffer the wrong for the kingdom's sake. In other words, if you take your brother to a court of law in the city of Corinth, then the non-Christians of Corinth are going to see that. It's going to be a circus, and it's going to give the church a black eye. So sometimes it is better for you to just absorb a wrong instead of parading the church's dirty laundry out before the world and then harming or endangering the view of the body of Christ by those who are outside. That's one part of it. The other part of it is that he wanted these brethren to recognize that while it was important to navigate through things like days and food and so on, everyone had to keep their eye on the prize, the proper perspective. And that is that the work of the body of Christ was far too important for the brethren to be fighting with one another about food and about feast days. There were things that were more important. Also, look at 15 and verse 3. Why all of this? Because Christ died for us. Look what he says. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You see, when we get to chapter 15, the apostle Paul begins to summarize chapter 14, and he turns our attention to Christ Jesus. Receive one another just as Christ has received you. You're Christ's servants. Christ died for you. No reason to fight with one another over matters of judgment because we have a Savior who died for us to purchase all of us. And finally, look at verse 6. The reason why all of this is important is because our aim is to glorify God. Look at verse 5. Now may the God, I'm in chapter 15, by the way, chapter 15 and verse 5. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. Why? 
that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. What is our aim? What is our goal as Christians and members of the body of Christ? Our aim or our goal is to be able to glorify God together as one unified body. Just like God planned and Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 through the end of the chapter. So by way of principle, Paul addresses the problems. The problems are food, the problems are days, the problems are despising and judging and weak and strong and so on. But he says, here's how you work through this. You receive one another, you serve one another, you bear with one another, you help one another. You don't put a stumbling block before one another and above all, pursue peace and edification. And the reason is because God will judge it. We're all the servants of Christ. We're all going to answer to Christ. There are more important matters that uh, are uh, pressing in the kingdom of God. Christ died for us, and our aim is not to argue over matters of judgment, but rather our aim is to glorify God together. If these brethren in Rome would simply apply those principles, then they would deal with their elephants. Now then, let's talk about our elephants. I would suggest that nothing over the past, I don't know, 40 years, maybe more, has threatened the unity of the church in a very practical way like COVID has threatened the unity of the church. In talking with folks, friends and preachers and brethren from all over the country, I can tell you without any doubt that brethren have absolutely fought with one another over COVID. I can tell you that Christians have left congregations because they disagreed on how to handle COVID. And I can tell you that I know of even one congregation that has had an honest-to-goodness church split where members got together and left and started another congregation because of their disagreement with the eldership on how COVID was handled. Now, I suspect that we all would agree that it is very difficult to know how to deal with every aspect of something like this. And the reason is because the challenges that it poses to us are very unique to our generation. And so sometimes it is difficult to know the correct answer to every question. It is difficult to know exactly what to do in every situation. I think we probably all recognize that. But let me share with you now some things that I do know. And I ask you to bear with me and just just keep an open mind. I know that COVID has been made a very highly political and a very highly divisive topic in our country. I know that there are people in our country who get their news only from CNN and refuse to listen to a person unless they have a D after their name. I know that there are people in our country who get their news from Fox News and refuse to listen to anyone without an R after their name. I know that in our country, many people have dug their heels into the, into the ground and regarding their position about COVID and how to deal with it. 
and they absolutely refuse to listen to anybody who disagrees with them. I know that in our country, it's very common for one person to shame another person who disagrees with them about it. As a matter of fact, just by way of example, this last week, after the governor announced his plans to uh, let the mandates expire in the state, I read on the next door website in my neighborhood that if a person refused to wear a mask, then they're selfish, stupid, stubborn, and have absolutely no regard at all for human life. I know that the devil would love nothing more than for the attitudes that exist outside of the body of Christ in regard to COVID to find their way inside the body of Christ. I know that he would love nothing more than for us to fight and bite and devour and to destroy one another just like so many people in the world have been doing and are continuing to do. And I also know, brethren, that we cannot allow it to happen. Now, we have a lot in our con- many different views of COVID in our congregation. We have some, on the one hand, who see COVID as something that has been blown way out of proportion. On the other hand, we have those who see COVID as a very serious problem. We have some, on the one hand, who are not bothered by COVID at all. And then on the other hand, we have some who are very afraid and are even struggling with legitimate anxiety because of it. We have some who feel uh, like it's possible, very likely even, that we might contract it at the church building. We have some who feel like it's not possible to contract it, at least not very likely to contract it in the church building. We have some who feel like we ought to wear a mask all the time that we're in the building and maybe even double mask. We have some who feel like it would be okay to wear a mask while we're up and walking around the building, but when we sit down, it would be okay to take them off. We have some who feel like we shouldn't really wear a mask at all. We have some who have said that they wouldn't feel comfortable coming to worship if we, unless we made provisions and wore masks. And so we made provisions, including masks, and some have come. We have some who said they wouldn't feel comfortable unless we made provisions and wore masks and so on, and so we made provisions and wore masks, and they're still not coming. I know that we have some who have been very frustrated about COVID to one degree or another, whether because of what we've done in the congregation or outside the congregation. We have all sorts of of views and ideas and opinions represented in this congregation about what to do about this full thing. So what are we to do about it? Well, the answer is that we have to apply the principles of Romans chapter 14. Now, just as those of us in this congregation feel very strongly about COVID one way or the other, you can rest assured that in the church at Rome, there were those who felt very strongly about food and about days and about so on. But what I want us to see before we conclude our time this morning is that the Apostle Paul reminded them that they all had responsibilities to one another. Remember that the strong were not to look down on the weak and the weak were not to condemn the strong, Romans 14 and verse number 3. Well, how does that apply to us? 
I'm not suggesting that one side is the weak and one side is the strong. I'll let you work on that on your own. I'm just simply suggesting that we have two sides of, uh, two sides of opinion on a matter, and so therefore we have to follow these principles to come together. Those, for example, who feel strongly about wearing masks have to recognize that not everyone feels strongly about wearing masks. Those who would rather masks all be thrown into a pile and burned in the backyard also have to recognize that there are those in the congregation who feel very strongly that we should be wearing them. Those who feel strongly that wearing a mask and not passing the Lord's Supper trays or observing all of the other things that we've done over the past several months have to realize that you cannot force that opinion and that line of thinking on someone who feels differently. But the opposite is also true. A person who maybe feels like we should take these masks and all of these considerations and kick them to the curb day before yesterday have to recognize that you can't force your opinion on someone who disagrees with you either. You see, at some point, masks are not going to be required. At some point, we're going to stop marking off every other pew and we're going to pass the Lord's Supper trays around and all of our works are going to begin again, our visitation lunches and everything else. What will we do then? This is what I want us to be thinking about. Would it be right for me to cause a problem within the congregation because I disagree with the timing or disagree with the method? Would it be fair for me to insist that the elders force everyone in the congregation to do one thing or another just because I maybe think that they should? These are questions that we need to consider. Now I want you to look again at Romans chapter 14 and particularly focus on verses 16 to 18. This is the passage in which the Apostle Paul talks about things that are important. And notice that what he emphasizes here to the church at Rome is that the most important thing is the work of the church and individual spiritual health. And that truth, brothers and sisters, still applies. It is vitally important that every member of this congregation is actively worshiping and serving within the congregation as soon as possible. And we have to think to that end. We should think and be grateful to our elders for understanding this point and bringing it before us regularly. They have a hard job. It's been made even more difficult over the past several months because of the fact that we're dealing with an issue that, again, outside of these walls is so polarizing and so heated. It's very difficult to navigate through these things. Now, you may not always agree with the decisions that they make or with the way that they handle a given situation. And listen, you know that's okay. I'm going to say something that's going to surprise you. I don't always agree with them either. But they don't always agree with me. They don't always even agree with themselves sometimes. You know why? Because just like the rest of us, they're human beings. But here's the point. These are good and godly men who genuinely have the best interest of the congregation and every soul in it in their mind. And they love the congregation and they devote countless hours to this congregation Hours that could be spent at home with their family doing other things are spent here meeting, talking, working through these issues just like this. 
And so although we may not always agree with everything that they do, Hebrews 13, 17 says that we still have the responsibility to submit to them, to honor them, and to support them, and to pray for them and keep this in mind as they do the best that they can to navigate the congregation through this COVID insanity. Now, whatever our feelings may be, we have to keep the proper perspective. I want to share with you a couple of things that you may or may not know. I promise we're almost done. COVID has hindered the work of the Southwest Church of Christ. Do you know that in the first two and a half months of the year 2020, our Sunday morning attendance was over 220 people every Sunday morning, I think, except one. In the first two and a half months of 2020, the evangelism program that we had been working so hard on since Rob Whitaker had come, I think the year or two years even before that, that evangelism program was roaring full steam. There were several Bible studies going on, five, I think, at one time, if my memory serves me correctly, just in the first two and a half months of the year. We had members, all of us, who were working through our directory, finding names of members that we didn't know very well and and inviting them over to our homes or taking them out to a restaurant, making real efforts to try to get to know one another better and really strengthen the ties of brotherhood within the congregation. We were doing this. We had our third Arise uh, Spiritual Growth Week, and it was incredibly successful. The school was going at full speed, and the staff was working to raise support for the school and for the students, and it was, it was off to a stellar start. So many other things were going on in this congregation that absolutely, for, the, for, for all intents and purposes, came to a halt because of COVID. Now, I'm not telling you all of that to be depressing. I'm saying all of this because we got to get this going again. There are souls who are lost. There are people in this world who are struggling and who are looking for hope, and it is the church's mission to point them to Jesus Christ. And so we cannot allow COVID to steal any more of our time and any more of our energy away from us. I want to encourage you again to look at Romans chapter 14, verse 19 and 20, chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, and chapter 15, verses 5 to 7. And note carefully how the Apostle Paul emphasizes that that, uh, we have to pursue peace and we have to pursue edification, that we have to keep the main thing the main thing, that we have to keep our eyes on the prize and make sure that the, the work of Christ goes on. I don't have all the answers. No one does. But here is my plea. Let's not allow COVID to divide us. Now, we may disagree on what it is and how to properly handle it, and it may take us a little while to carefully navigate through these issues, but let's remember that we have responsibilities to one another. We need to always think the best of each other. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says that love thinks no evil. That means that we think the best of one another, that we step into the other person's shoes and we try the best we can to understand things from their perspective. We need to practice the golden rule, Matthew 7 and verse number 12, as you would have uh, uh, do unto uh, men, as you would have them do unto you. 
We need to think carefully and critically about our opinions. Remember Romans 14.1, the terminology is specifically dealing with reasoned opinions. We must not belittle or come down harshly on a brother or sister who disagrees with us. And we must seek to love one another and build one another up and practice patient patience. Let's be united in our love and our dedication to each other and to the Lord, and let's determine that no matter what happens, each one of us is going to do our part to stand united for the cause of Jesus Christ. And if we can do all of these things, then we will successfully, I think, slaughter the COVID elephant. And I pray that that's our goal. I'm going to offer the Lord's invitation now, and it may be that there's someone here who has a desire to respond, maybe to become a Christian. The Bible says that God's desire is for all people to become Christians. That's why Jesus came and died, so that all people could become his children. Believe in the deity of Jesus, John 8 and verse 24. Repent of sins, Luke 13 and verse 3. Confess faith, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. And be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 2 and verse 38. The Bible says that, that God will add you to the church. Maybe this morning you're a Christian and you're struggling with something in your life. Maybe it's some of the COVID matters that we've talked about this morning. Maybe you've been struggling with your mindset about it. Just whatever the case may be. Can we pray for you? Can we help you in some way? If you have any need at all, we invite you to come and let it be known while we stand and sing together.